Welcome to the Cine Girl podcast. I'm Fran. And I'm Bryony. And this is the podcast where we talk about film and TV and the way it reflects different topics. My pronouns are she, her. And my pronouns are also she and her. Um, I can't believe that this is our sixth episode. Uh, I mean, time really does fly, but um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're so excited to be back um, and really thrilled about our guest and topic choice. Uh, today we have Rufai Ru Ajala. And today we are going to be talking about gender identity on screen, a discussion around non-binary gaze, intimacy coordination, and much more. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. So looking forward to this. Uh, so Rue's background, they were educated at the Arts University of Bournemouth, then went on to the Czech Film School to further specialise in the art of cinematography. And they are now working as a cinematographer, gaffer and lighting technician. And Rue is also a certified intimacy coordinator. This is a really important role and we are so glad to see that intimacy coordinators are becoming an integral part of film and TV sets. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm super excited and and so pleased uh, to welcome Rue. Hello, Rue. Welcome hey. to the podcast. Hey. How are you? How's it going? Well, well, it's it's cold. It's December, yeah. but it's, it's I'm well. Yeah. Do you do you celebrate um, Christmas? Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying yeah. to. <laughs> I don't celebrate much of anything, but I'm trying to. Yeah. Same here. I'm. Uh, I still. I don't know. Christmas still feels a bit surreal to me this year. I still. I'm not feeling Christmassy just yet. What about you, Brioni? How are you feeling? Yeah. I mean, I. I absolutely love Christmas. Like it's yeah. my favorite time of the year. But I think last year it was just all so horrible that I'm like mm -hmm. trying to not get my hopes up too much and just trying to be yeah. a bit chill about it. You know. Yeah. It seems like we're in almost like the same unsure of how Christmas is going to go down like last year yeah yes. like all the new variant stuff is just making me feel like oh I need to know <laughs> not so true excited but yeah I mean it is a, it is a lovely time of the year so yeah kind of enjoy yeah. it Rue, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just, um, yeah, I, I love your work. I love what you do. I mean, my really, my, my, the first question really I'm dying to ask is what made you choose two career paths? Because you're both in camera lighting and you're also an intimacy coordinator. So yeah, I'm Rufai Ajala. I normally go by Rue. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I've been working in the film industry for about 13 years. I kind of started through a program aimed at young people who weren't in any kind of like formal training or education. And that kind of got me into film. And I particularly started working in the lighting department and in the cinematography department and was really interested in that. So I've been doing that for like 10, 11 years. Um, actually, a lot of the stories that I ended up shooting as a, a DP mm -hmm. and stuff around my community so my community is like particularly queer, trans people of color. So I started shooting a lot of stories and films and content around that kind of community whilst in a way learning and being more in touch with myself and uh, rediscovering myself. And through that journey of, you know, learning more about consent, learning more about gender, learning more about sexuality and all of these kind of things, these stories and subjects that I was filming were very vulnerable things and very sensitive stuff 
this also got me uh, along the path of how could I be better equipped to approach these subjects that were the subject matter were very vulnerable um the on-screen talent or the people who were sharing their stories were they were in you know it was a very vulnerable sensitive kind of thing um so trying to have things in place where I had better like ethics or better kind of working practices um mm-hmm. to safeguard whilst telling these stories so that kind of in a roundabout way kind of led me down the path of um, intimacy coordination I think it was very maybe um informal at first very very much trying to safeguard a lot of the people within my community and a lot of the subject matter that I was the stories I was telling but then also I had like an abuse of power on set involving myself where I was like the victim of like an abusive kind of person or someone who abused their position of power and that also led me down the way of like okay what can I do to better safeguard crew and safeguard cast or on-screen talent what kind of things are existing and this was you know around the time of the Me Too movement um, like 2017 but then also yeah like intimacy coordination was also becoming a very established role and it was almost like a godsend finding this you know, this role, like this kind of safeguarding position, then diving headfirst into any kind of training that I could do to have the skills to first heal myself, but also to safeguard people within um, my community, but also people within film Mm -hmm. as well. Wow. I mean, yeah, first of all, I want to say I'm so, I'm so sorry that you had that experience and it just goes to show kind of how far we've come I think in the industry but also how much like there is still to be done and I think it's really admirable that you've taken that experience that you had and you're using it to to do something good like I respect you so much for that. How have you found um, doing intimacy coordination? Like, I would, I'm so interested in it. I think it's such an important role. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more about like your experiences in in working as an intimacy coordinator. Could you talk a bit more about it? Yeah. So um, I've been training as an intimacy coordinator since 2019, and yeah, I've been involved in film much longer, and particularly in lighting. But my my training as an IC. Um, or as as an intimacy coordinator lasted like like a year and a half and I started training with Ito Brian, one of the pillars um, in the IC kind of community and then I finished off my training with uh, Yarrett Dorr, chair of um, the Beck2 IC branch um, in the UK. I'm grateful for having both of their expertise and their training um, because that really set me off in a good place in terms of my approach before um, IC work most of my my experience had been more technical and behind the camera and lighting um, and not working with actors or with on-screen talent as much so really having their training set me up for success in terms of its approach is very much movement based and 
different ways of using movement to help actors create intimacy. And Yarrett is very much, has a lot of theory, theoretical kind of approaches, which having those two was a great balance. And also going off on my own after that and doing a lot of like movement and dance classes and a, a lot of acting training, having had none of that before. Yeah, because I guess they're two very, um, they're, t- they're two sort of very different areas of film aren't they because I guess the the way that you interact with the actors as an intimacy coordinator must be very different yeah to the work that you do um yeah with lighting but I guess that, that must be amazing to have so many you've got so many kind of like what's the phrase is it like it's not not is it notches on your belt it's not notches on your yeah, belt um yeah <laughs> feathers in your cap notches in your belt um strings in your bow <laughs> that's it yeah 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 and and I don't know like sometimes I I feel that maybe people see me as spreading myself too thin as in maybe not I think this goes back to the mindset of the industry right I mean we we this industry always just has to pigeonhole people like this is what you do or oh that's just your background whereas now I think it's normal I mean we all come from different backgrounds and in fact we must and should welcome uh, different, you know, profiles, different expertise, different skills. Um, and I think, yeah. I think, because I was, I actually, we, we, um, we actually featured Ita, um, like maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. So I was yeah. talking to her at the time. And I think what you're doing is amazing, Rue, because what I hear, despite, you know, even chatting to other intimacy coordinators, is that a lot of the times, you know, the IC has this role and this knowledge and they go on set, but the crew is not prepared. So all that, you know, not knowing that um, etiquette around, you know, how to implement (laughs) the intimacy coordination. And I think you're actually bridging that gap as well, because you come from the camera or the crewing side lighting. Yeah. You bring in all this other set of, of, you know, um, skills and knowledge that, that we need on set and that some people don't. I mean, how many times we've been on set and they say, oh, it's a closed scene and is everything but a closed scene because you still yeah. see people, you know, trying to peek or spy or, you know, ho- I mean, it's just all wrong. It's so unethical. And I think what, what you're doing is really good. And, and I really do hope, in fact, I think everyone at some stage in their career should really undergo, I believe, either a mental health or an intimacy coordination sort of, you know, short, brief course, just to sort of have that awareness, because Mm. I think it's really important for everyone in the crew to be aware of that. Um, And I think what you're doing is um, exemplary, is really, is is unique, but at the same time is so much needed, is really required if we do want to move forward, because we talk about, we want the industry to change and we always demand Mm. these changes and yet, who's actually doing what, like, what are we doing? And you're actually doing it. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, like I have such a passion for like lighting and cinematography mm-hmm. and, you know, that's almost like my work kind of, you know, mind, but it's also like a personal pa- passion. But then also I have like a great passion about like identity and like activism and like gender and sexuality and consent and all of those things. and. And that is actually like my personal kind of community, like the queer people of color, like trans community. That's like um, a lot of like my my uh, self-made kind of family. I'm I'm bridging 
those gaps with you know like my work self my personal kind of self and bring in a lot of that into my work in terms of like my knowledge about sexuality or marginalized identities or like uh, gender expression and stuff like that where I felt there wasn't really much of a place When I first started in lighting and it being a very particular kind of environment and always having to fight that or kind of conform to it, even though I felt that was not me. And now things are much more different. Yeah. And I, I can kind of create, you know, the, the sets that I want to be on that are much more open and much more inviting. Yeah, because I saw, and I mean, I don't know, uh, recently on, on your Instagram, you did a live around intimacy coordination for non-binary people. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. What 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 prompted that? So when I started my training with ITA, uh, because of COVID and stuff like that, I had to kind of pause that training. And then much later on, I um, Yarrett had a training program, Yarrett Door, funded by Screen Skills, which was particularly aimed at marginalized people and identities. So it was particularly trying to create more diversity within um, yeah. intimacy coordination. So allowing more trans and non-binary representation and more people of color I, I think that brought like a whole dimension to intimacy coordination that wasn't there before or, and also with like a lot of the stories that are now being told with you know lots of programs like sex education yes that um, we're going to be talking about in a bit <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> where you know like euphoria and stuff like that yeah where there is more and more representation of like marginalized identities marginalized people and there is a need for either people who come from those experiences or people who are knowledgeable about those experiences to you know share their you know their expertise and share their experience and with with intimacy coordination you're not just once you train that's it you're not stagnant you always have to kind of keep on doing like personal develop development training courses and stuff like that to kind of expand because you know, with consent and with intimacy, it's never stagnant. You know, we things are always shifting and you always have to educate yourself in that. So it was really about like highlighting within intimacy coordination and also within the wider industry that there needs to be more kind of representation um, and also training regarding intimacy between marginalized identity, between people of color, between queer people between trans and non-binary yeah so that that instagram alive was with another non-binary intimacy coordinator um from the u.s and we were discussing one the differences between the u.s and the uk but also between the other kind of you know between a non-binary representation and um what we can kind of do um, yeah. to um address that yeah I'm, I can't wait to start talking about sex education. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I do think that links in really nicely to sex education. Because um, I was just going to say, off on what you were saying, Rue, like, I do think sex education has been a huge, it's like, it's really set a precedent, I think, for, for TV, film and TV now, in yes. the way that obviously it's so, it's such an inclusive series and it has, it represents so many different people. And I, what I love about it is the way that it, it is really doing that both in front of the camera and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. um, 
which is it's just so important as you were saying like you know you can't we can't be creating these tv series where there is so much representation on screen but then behind the screen it's still the same stuffy old white men yeah <laughs> you know doing all the work um and that's why i do think it really has i do think it's opened the industry up a little bit more and kind of you know i i love the fact that i'm a i'm sort of first and foremost a, a screenwriter and you know they have a really really inclusive writers room which i love and i just love seeing they were mm-hmm. they're posting them in the writers room i'm like this is what we need more of why is sex education yeah. the only yeah. kind of big shows that has yeah. this very diverse writers room it's i know it's crazy yeah but yeah, yeah. i'd love to hear more about your thoughts on sex education yeah like my um a really good friend of mine krishna you know is part of the writers room on season four of um, sex education and you know them being trans and a comedian and a performance artist and a person of color and i've known them like from the kind of queer people of color community like for the last almost decade or something um Mm -hmm. and to kind of see that kind of involvement within uh, sex education giving more representation and bringing people who kind of who come from those experiences uh their thoughts and their knowledge is very important and within the show the people playing non-binary characters are non-binary themselves yeah very important i think it's it's doing a lot of wonders and just also just i i know there was like a lot of uh debate around the use of like they them pronouns and stuff like that and you know singular and you know (laughs) plural and stuff like that but um the way they've kind of like interwoven that into uh the series and cal's character kind of like really um a black non-binary a person you know like really being firm in their belief and you know their identity and like really kind of shrugging off people who are like misgendering or um, who aren't understanding and their approach is like really, is something that I also just kind of like really admire, but also just like um, the way of represent, like um, showing representation of like uh, non-binary can look so many different ways. I think a lot of what people maybe imagine or the kind of stereotype that they kind of think of non-binary is, you know, very androgynous or, you know, um, a particular kind of, uh, subversion of like masculinity and femininity and that you know you can be super femme and still identify as like non-binary you can't you could be super mask um, and still identify as non-binary and particularly for me what um, kind of connecting it to me growing up and and kind of like discovering and identifying being non-binary growing up it never really occurred to me and it was only when I started kind of doing more introspective work and kind of really trying to because at one point you know there's people how people see you and how you kind of perceive yourself yeah people see me as like a black kind of masculine person and stuff and I was taking what other people's how they viewed me as then how I viewed myself rather than kind of questioning what what do I feel comfortable with and I at the time I think back in 2015, 16, the representation of like non-binary or trans that I was seeing was not like black masculine 
there wasn't that many much representation of that and then seeing like being involved in like the queer trans people of color community in London um, and seeing other representations of being trans and non-binary and that you know you can't you know you can be black and you can be um uh mask and you know it's how you feel and it's not how you present that um impacts your gender identity because i think a, a lot of the way that um, maybe other shows kind of sh show you this is that you know it's that person who looks you know very ambiguous it you know they are non-binary Yeah, I mean, in fact, I was thinking about, because I was watching Billions, and mm. yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, Asia Kate Dillon, they're an amazing actor, absolutely fantastic, the performance yeah. was fantastic, but then, you know, again, it was portraying that image that you just said about, you know, non-binary, then that sort of ambiguity, like it wasn't, whereas I think, um, even though the performance was absolutely amazing, you know, absolutely, there's nothing there that could be criticised, it's just, but again, I think with sex education, we are, it, it is actually sexually education, you know, all of us, mm -hmm. we all need to yeah. be um, educated, and I think it's showing um, those, um, you know, it's showing real life, it's showing yeah. what actually happens, and I think it's it's sad because I think the history of, of cinema and just society, we've almost stopped giving permission to ourselves to invent because mm. we've been, you know, put in that box and that same gaze, you know, which I think we can all agree was, you know, heterosexual, middle-class, white male gaze um, through all films. Um, and, and that sort of, you know, is like, okay, but uh, there's actually an entire world out there, which is different. And, yeah. and this is what we're finally seeing. I mean, even just uh, with Pose, the series, I um, thought that was amazing. I mean, again, the creators, the writers' room was just absolutely fantastic, you know. Um, and sex education for me was definitely um, um, an educational experience for sure. I, I, I actually personally learned a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, enjoyed and learned a lot as well. I'm kind of envious of of younger people growing up with, you know, with these series, like growing up watching sex education. Like I know yeah. myself, and I'm sure you as well Rue like you would have massively benefited from yeah you know, to see these characters and you know yourself being represented people like you being represented um yeah. kind of when I was growing up and you know people older than me like they just didn't they just didn't get to see that yeah. screen in the same way yeah I think I would have found myself like much earlier on because I think I was quite a late not late bloomer but like I think when I was 22, 23, like, you know, I found out about like queer and pansexual, um, but maybe knowing that I was like bisexual or of that kind of like identity, probably when I was 16 yeah. or even earlier than that. But what was, I guess, preventing that? And I was like a, an indie rock kid um, <laughs> when I was younger, uh, you know, listening to like Funny Cat the Disco, uh, My Chemical Romance, um, Block Party, um, and actually a lot of, <laughs> a lot of those lead singers have, you know, either come out as gay or like bi or, you know, heteroflexible or whatever, you know, um, but then the, what was kind of being, um, in a lot of the teen mags around that time, like, bisexuality for men was not a thing like it was very much like 
you can't be by you either gay or straight and it was like I remember like reading Kerrang and stuff like that and you know it was very much like there was always like oh is he gay or is he straight and stuff like that for some yeah yeah um and it was that kind of um there was the term bisexual but it was that it almost seemed to be very I couldn't grasp it like it was not yeah there was some sort of barrier um so there was a lot of like months of you know like um or years of turmoil and like kind of being like well what you know am I gay or straight if like bisexual is not accessible to me um and then um I think yeah Frank Ocean happened <laughs> and that was, that changed everything <laughs> back in like what um mid 2000 yeah 2010 kind of stuff but yeah like I think you know sex education would have been a godsend for me like when I was younger and having the language then and and then kind of you know just having those kind of starting blocks and you know that kind of one or two kind of like words or whatever and then kind of doing my own self-discovery on the internet or with other people or whatever you know that would like set me off but like um yeah I think it's really good what you said sorry I'll just butt in quickly but I mean yeah in terms of I think it's all about showing um examples like of what is real right I mean yeah okay I grew up just watching Disney and you know with great films fantastic but I only knew that narrative I only knew that one side only knew you know I mean come on all the female roles in Disney I think you know we could probably have a different podcast for that but yeah yeah, you know I mean that's how I grew up that that was my example my role model was that and so now it's is actually so different and, and I think you're right Brian. I mean I even see it with my daughter um, I mean she's a lot sort of she's really well equipped um, socially um, just you know uh, for just accepting and and but not even accepting but just really for learning for knowing that yeah. there's actually everyone's different and she, mm. you know she's absolutely fine with that you know she, I think she really struggles to understand sometimes what I when I talk to her about you know oh but you know women have come a long way you know there's some communities that have really sort of had to you know fight a lot work hard I mean she really could not wrap her head, uh, her head around it because <laughs> she was like how's that possible really? <laughs> like you did like you couldn't even vote you couldn't drive I said no I mean there's so many other things as well and um I think you're right I mean imagine if we grew up with sex education and yeah you know pose and the many other amazing films and series that are being created I think yeah very much you know we'd have a very um different society for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah. You know, that's credit to you as well because I know Brand, like you do sit down and watch a lot of interesting and challenging things with your daughter so oh yes yeah you know, we showing her, <laughs> showing her the right things <laughs> I hope yeah we we do watch a lot of stuff yeah probably some stuff I don't know if she should be watching at 11 uh, but anyway yes <laughs> one tries <laughs> Yeah, like what you're saying, like is very yeah, like um, I, I'm making this film around like an older generation of gay men in the UK who, okay, um, they had they were, they were part of this kind of club called um, the Sixty Niners, I think, and it's about this kind of like leather and like kink and stuff like that, and they formed this yeah. kind of club. Uh, this other filmmaker I'm making it with, like he's been documenting their lives for like I think since 2016 or. Um, for a while now and when I was just watching one of the cuts of the film like the first kind of uh, lines that kind of come up is this club has been running when homosexuality was still illegal in the UK in 1965 and I was like wait what (laughs) I couldn't believe like I was like whoa that was 
that seems so cl- like not that, that long ago, is it? Yeah, like what? I was like, wow, wow, <laughs> we've come so far in such a short time. <laughs> we really have. I mean, still a long way to go, but it is crazy when you look back and you, yeah, and you hear about these laws. That you're like, how? How was that a thing? Like, why were people not questioning that? It is worrying to see how quickly we can just go back mm. that toxic, you know, part of history, um, which is just, it is worrying. But then I think hopefully now, and I think that's one of maybe the positive sides of perhaps social media, I think. Yeah. Maybe we have to thank yeah. social media for that, really, because we can share things and people now really want to know the truth. We're always about the behind the scene or the untold mm. story or, you know, what can we, so we're all about, you know, that transparency. And I think hopefully now, if we have that, that's really what's going to also help us and maybe save us. I mean, I'm not saying that social media is the answer, but it's certainly yeah. helping, I think, share, um, you know, to create a platform, a community where people can really share real life and what's going on. Yeah, like the media that things are being created now and yeah, like sex education, euphoria and so many things that are being done where it's like not only like sharing like marginalized or people who haven't been able to have a platform before mm. but also showing they're just like us so yeah like we would just love to know I mean your experience in the industry but also you know how how can people how can we how can our listeners make the industry a more inclusive space for non-binary people I'm gonna use an example or yeah I'm gonna share an anecdote like um it's only happened a couple of times but even recent like yeah last week I was on the production where the call sheet they included like pronouns uh, and they asked you know everyone what their pronouns were and put it on the call sheet which I thought was like a great thing and mm. and it's happened like a few times and little things like that I think is like amazing in terms of creating like an inclusive space and really trying to being more accommodating for people and yeah there's other ways that can be done but like you know just little things like that is like goes such a long way in terms of just a recognition of now nowadays I am trying to create like very conscious kind of like places of work that are more rewarding to my mental health and to myself and places of work that are aren't enjoyable and not you know not full of when I was younger and when I was like starting to enter the industry like not having to pertain to a, a particular kind of like toxic masculinity or like very toxic kind of workplace so really trying to be on productions that are much more inclusive and stuff but also yeah recognizing that there also has to be some not every place is going to be I guess safe and that I have this kind of chosen bubble this kind of chosen family which is like my queer trans people of color community outside of work um and sometimes those two kind of cross over and and that is work but I always return to like the people who know me best and that's where like my safety kind of like lies and I try and do as much as I can to kind of like create a more inclusive space or a more educational space or more kind of observant space in work when I can but sometimes it's a much more gradual and harder process but the times that I have created it or other people have created it it has been like amazing like yeah awesome thank you I think yeah I think it's all about like 
I mean, my my experience is, yeah, changing the narrative inside my own head, like the biases that I know I've sort of grown up with just because, you know, when I was younger, the these kind of gender identity was like not something that people discussed in the same way that we do now. And kind of I'm working on not making assumptions about people, asking questions and kind of really trying to rewrite that natural narrative you know that I've had from growing up and I think if everyone does that then even just that makes a huge difference Mm. you know not make not making assumptions about people's identity it's something that before everyone kind of just did yeah yeah and I, I guess as well tell me if I'm wrong but I feel like do you think that film and tv like working in film and tv do you think it is more accepting and open than other industries have you had any experience in other industries do you think it's a good place to work as someone who is non-binary or I don't know (laughs) because sometimes um I feel like there's sometimes a divide in terms of what is actually being filmed and what the crew actually is in terms of so I I, um I worked on uh, the bisexual which was yeah a channel for Hulu tv drama directed by Desiree Akavan and you know it was this was yeah when was this back in I think 2008 17 18 and not a lot but there was you know some incidences of the crew like some of the crew like or particularly within lighting (laughs) being um transphobic or like saying some kind of homophobic stuff pretty much like the show is what's happening I guess in front of the camera side is a very you know inclusive and you know it's really trying to educate and stuff and what I'm really grateful for was when Desiree kind of heard this she called a meeting and kind of like addressed it and was like we're not having any of this on our set you know if if this happens you're off our set and this did you know there there were a few like people who were were taken off this like yeah who no longer came on which was great but like and it's not just happened on that set but like I always feel like there is a divide you might be creating like a show or um, a commercial whatever that shows like one thing inclusivity or like but then there's a disconnect between like the people who are actually creating it where they either them being you know making comments about race or about sexuality or what or whatever the subject matter is and they're totally being disconnected from the subject matter that is being filmed yeah, so they can um, share the values and the, yeah. And the... Me coming onto the bisexual, I, um, as part of the crew, I thought, oh, this, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I thought this will be quite an inclusive kind of crew and stuff. And then to find out that one or two, it wasn't like the majority, it was just like um, a few individuals, but I didn't expect it. That was the last place I thought to expect it. And, it, you know, that's, you know, repeated on other productions as well. But I, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe that's just maybe more of... Um, a reflection of society rather than just a, the film industry particularly where you are always going to encounter people who are creating something or working in a field that but they don't particularly share the values of what they're yeah. doing which is yeah which is kind of sad sometimes because like maybe isn't this like an opportunity to kind of see someone else's like perspective or like yeah see another side of something that you you know you've never seen before yeah I guess you assume that people working on a film that is or or a series that yeah is promoting diversity inclusion you assume Mm. that the people working on it will will share those values and they'll be 
they'll be open yeah. to listening and learning. But I guess I think sometimes, yeah, what we what we forget about film and TV is that like people are still seeing, you know, their work is still their job and it's what pays them. So I guess yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know, people will only take things that they're passionate about and they believe yeah. in, but there are, you know, undoubtedly still people that are just there to get their paycheck and leave and not necessarily there because they want to open their eyes and learn and yeah which is That's so true which, I mean, yeah it's, yeah it's awful isn't it like don't don't work on something if if you're not gonna share the values of the production but yeah, yeah. things like yeah netflix i've worked on i think one or two netflix productions this year where everyone has to kind of sit in a training course uh, before starting the production that brings awareness to bullying, to like sexism, to like homophobia and all of those kind of things. So there are steps and, you know, back to releasing um, their sex demands to tackle bullying and harassment in film and TV, which also addresses like racism and inclusivity and like sexism and stuff like that. So there are steps that people within the industry are doing to kind of tackle that. But also how we, you know, having conversations with each other. And I definitely walk the line of being, yeah, like a gaffer or a spark or whatever. This very particular type of masculinity this very, um, I think, traditionally uh, a gaffer has been, you know, there's some lovely gaffers out there. But like, definitely when I was training, it was very much like this kind of macho, toxic masculinity kind of thing that was a lot of the people in the kind of lighting department but then towing the line as an intimacy coordinator as well and I think people are thrown by me being like yeah a gaffer and an intimacy coordinator and they don't know what box to kind of put me in which is very interesting but it also kind of changes the perspective of what a gaffer is or what an intimacy coordinator is in terms of the stereotypes that people have of those kind of roles there's like a lot of amazing gaffers now who have deviated from that uh, very particular I guess traditional kind of gaffer stereotype which, which yeah has opened up much more kind of representation yeah which, which is amazing I, I definitely think there's a lot of like there's there there's a lot of sort of historical stereotypes in terms of just people's personalities and what role what, what role they have in the film industry. Like I remember when I did my master's, it was kind of very much a thing like writers are really quiet and they just want to be mm. keep to themselves and they're not very sociable and they don't really have social skills. And then it was like, you know, but, you know, directors are really extroverted and, and it's kind of those types of things that you see within roles in film and TV. I think it's really problematic the way that roles are talked about because, you know, then it kind of makes you feel like, you know, I'm a writer, but I'm, I also love working with people. I love collaborating and I kind of feel like, oh my... Am I, you know, should I be doing writing because I should yeah. sort of just want to be shut away in my room and not speaking to people? And like, it's not the yeah, case. Yeah. Right? You know, there are so <laughs> many. We all have our own personalities. Just because you know someone's interested in writing doesn't mean that they don't like speaking to people. Just because someone's interested in lighting, it doesn't mean that they're this like really overtly masculine yeah. person. It, it's I don't know why we've created these like restraints I don't know where they've come from it's very strange yeah, yeah it's true it, it kind of does touch on like what you were saying uh, before and about like going through our biases we kind of educating ourselves and one thing I was going to mention before when you're saying that was like when I am kind of misgendered or when people do kind of have like a bias or a stereotype against me or whatever 
I don't always take like immediate offense and kind of like shut them down or like upset about it. And this is my personal reaction. This doesn't go for everyone. But I, I try to kind of like also understand that, you know, they are going through a process of learning and, you know, that biases are something that is, is fed through our culture. And we, we have a lot of unlearning to do and yeah. a lot of educating. I could be helpful to this person or to yeah. help in that kind of like showing them something or that I don't fit within this stereotype that they kind of like envision or see. So I, I think kind of giving, you know, people a little bit of room to make mistakes um, or to, and we see that perfectly in sex education where Jackson and Cal, you know, they're, they're making out like it's the first time that they're making out on the bed and mm -hmm. Jackson kind of, um, you know, throws out this gendered kind of yeah. word saying, you know, you're beautiful and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. uh, Cal kind of, you know, says, oh, it's all right, like kind of brushes it off because they are so, as I said before, you know, that they don't allow any of that kind of stuff to really harm them. They, they, they're, they're really secure in their, their sense of self mm. that all that kind of like misgendering and stuff like that just falls off them very easily. Like they've built themselves up, they're so secure. But Jackson kind of like really kind of keeps coming back to it and it then becomes like he then becomes like the victim in this <laughs> or yeah. we don't have to feel sorry for it like cow has to then kind of like coward to making jackson feel better mm. <laughs> when it's something that jackson did to to them so yeah. <laughs> but that just little moment of like okay you you messed up that's fine you know like just you know like remember next time or whatever you know we can move on it's not going to happen in every incident um in every kind of situation or with every person but I think the majority of like marginalized people kind of like understand that because we predominantly live in a world that, you know, we are in the margins and, <laughs> you know, having to face that stuff like every day of sexism, racism, like, you know, homophobia and stuff like that, that, you know, when we do see people trying to make, uh, make an effort, sometimes we have the capacity to give them, to kind of help them along the way. Yeah, no, I think, um, thank you, Ru. Thank you really much for, for sharing this. It's, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been amazing i think we could um, go on and talk for hours but <laughs> so interesting thank you so much for for, no, for thank sharing you. your experience your your thoughts your words um yeah really really thank you so much um and no, yeah absolutely. thank you for allowing me to come on board and giving me a a place to have this kind of conversation and being so inviting no it's been amazing honestly I think you're like I'm so inspired by you your career is incredible I can't wait to see what you do next <laughs> yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah absolutely <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much yeah, yeah, yeah.